anything we say now is like taken in evidence and <laughs> you're incriminated into, I'm sorry, this is a court case now and you have no choice. Damn it, they got me. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> Things We Do Podcast, a podcast about film, life, television, mental health, and all of that fun, jazzy stuff. I've got my special guest today, Luella Baldwin. Thank you for joining me. Thank you for having me. I'm sure you get that every time. I <laughs> do. very unoriginal. That, well, like, I mean, you know, I uh, thank you for coming on. It's a, <laughs> everything's unoriginal these days. What's a, what's that thing no one's created, like, no one has oh, original? All art is dead. Yeah, all yeah. art is dead, and, like, there's only there's seven no, stories in them. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I don't know. I had to do essays on that at uni. I was blocked it <laughs> yeah i like i can't even fathom concepts of like story time anymore no. i just know that um the very hungry caterpillar <laughs> best story ever written <laughs> and that kid's story is like still flawless today i know possum magic could give you that uh, oh, run okay. for your money on i don't one. know possum magic so i feel like <laughs> but do you remember like um did you ever watch like the magic pudding Oh, that that's a very Australian bell. story yeah. and it's like this pudding that was alive but if you ate it like it would just taste amazing or it was like it was really weird it was like an like sentient yeah. pudding and I people was like, are what? just eating it yeah Ooh. and I was like I don't know why the fuck you would want to do this because it's a living breathing thing like <laughs> Jesus Christ you're all over. but then uh, people eat meat so you know? yeah. <laughs> just promoting cannibalism in the young it's fine look kind of, kind of. <laughs> I, I don't think it was puddings eating puddings true because that would have been that would have been exactly what cannibalism was <laughs> jesus we're starting off to a great start um but tell us all a little bit about you and your backstory oh my goodness my backstory um the very fun you know did drama through high school we all we all love a little bit of high school drama um in and out of the drama classroom uh, during that time, also did some uh, amateur theatre up in Brisbane. So just various productions at various theatre groups, um, musicals, plays, one-act plays, anything from Shakespeare in a Spanish accent to um, Gypsy and Gypsy, which was a fun <laughs> show. No, that was a whack show. It's like I love telling people about it, though, because I'm like, oh, in the first act, I spend half the show in um, cow pants from a two-person cow suit. And then in the second act, I have a seven-minute strip routine. And they're all just like, what, what is on. this musical? <laughs> Seven minutes? Yeah, yeah. Because it shows her, like, progression as she gets better. It's like 1940s burlesque stripping. So it's classy. So <laughs> Five minutes in and I'm already talking about this, but it's my typecast. So, um yeah, so the second act has like this seven-minute routine that sort yeah. of goes through like four different venues that she stripped at. So it's based on um, Gypsy Rose Lee, who was this famous yeah. uh, burlesque dancer in the 40s. And so, you know, she starts off all nervous so she's just been shoved out on stage and then by the fourth one through, she's like, yeah, I'm amazing. But it was basically four costume changes in seven minutes, Oof. which got easier as you went along because you would leave the stage in less clothes. But the first two was like out of one dress into another dress, out onto stage and you have 30 seconds to change and yeah, and a lot of adventures there. <laughs> there was a lot of like, just like... I bet, like, thinking about the logistics of what had to come off and what to go on. and yep, yeah, yep. yeah. I remember the second last show, I think it was, or the last show, I can't remember, but the final dress was a uh, corset with a skirt attached to it, but we had to just, like, try and get this zipper in. Like, there wasn't any lead-up to it. Like, yeah. the dress didn't lead up to it. It was just, like, a loose zipper. 
and my dressers are madly trying to dress me and like the music's starting and the girls are sort of starting to walk out and I'm like, okay, my cue's in like 10 seconds. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they're trying to zip this thing and they finally zip it and the zip breaks, but it gets caught in my skin. Oh no. So I'm walking out on stage with this corset like half sitting open, trying to sort of hide it and still look classy and elegant. And I'm just panicking because I'm like, this is the last one. This dress has got to come off entirely. What am I going to do? choreographer's side stage and she's like just grab the skirt and like open it and like you know flash a bit of leg and I'm like oh okay and the other dress is standing next to her and he's just shaking his head and I'm like oh I don't like that but I'm just gonna keep doing what I'm doing walk back and the last part was like I cover myself with the curtain and that's when I drop the dress and it's like oh I'm not you know yeah 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 dressed or whatever um and right as I cover myself with the curtain and I'm singing the last note of the song the other dresser had run around to the other side of the stage and he just ripped the zipper out of my skin ripped the dress off me and I'm trying to hold this note and not look like I just had skin ripped out and I'm like great cool this is fine get to center stage which is where I would sort of open the curtains and flash and I've got like you know like a nice bejeweled um bra set on and I did that and I'm like, and we're just going to twist our body to the side so no one sees the blood running down the side oh, no. of my body and close the curtains. And I'm like grabbing my side, walking off stage. Like, thank God, my next scene, I have to be angry because oh, I'm furious. Oh, my God. The adventures of theater. <laughs> I mean, like, Jesus fucking Christ. Yeah. Like, that's not even fun. That <laughs> um, was fascinating. You, <laughs> I don't think anyone's beaten the opening to this podcast with quite as like an intense story. Like that comes like a like half an hour to almost an hour in. No, you're just going off no, the get straight off the bat. Like... Just being like, you know what? Death and destruction. <laughs> Jeez. Yeah, kids, don't do theater. No, uh, do theater. It's great. Yeah, you just want to be maimed. Yeah, do theater. It's like it's like being bullied, but you know, with but by... you ask for it, and yeah. audition for it, and go through struggles for it, and your mental health just deteriorates. <laughs> We're really selling the arts. Oh yeah. Um, oh my god. So yeah. like, that's an intense like kind of situation that no one ever wants to go through. Yeah, but I mean, it's is fun. that the worst though? Like. Uh, the, Pain-wise, yes. (laughs) Like, I've had other things go wrong in shows, but, you know, you just cover them. And sometimes you cover them in a really clever way. Sometimes you sort of completely misalign and stand on stage and go, and pray for someone to give you a cue again. Um, But, yeah, I think that's the only really painful thing that's happened to me. Oh, my God. Out of all of my various roles. I'm trying to remember. I think that's it. Yeah. <laughs> what got you into acting though? What was kind of like the thing that made you go, I want to be an actor? Uh, I went through lots of phases as a kid. So like I'd always been doing um, dance classes since I was little. Like my parents put me into yeah. ballet as a, as a wee one. Um, <laughs> and then I did a, like a, just a little summer school play thing um, back when I lived in America and I still remember the line that I had in it because I had one line. I said it over and over and over again. It's this little like blonde five-year-old going, the name of the tree is Uwangalema. Say the name and the fruit will fall. And that's clearly burnt into my brain. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so kind of always had the arts in my life. And yeah. then my family have always been really big theater people. We'd always go to shows all the time um, in Brisbane, the big musicals that would come to QPAC because that was sort of the main yeah. art center up there. Um, and then I was also doing piano and singing and choir and all of that. And I was like, I'm going to be a concert pianist. And then I said that to my piano teacher and she was like, you need to practice like hours a day and be perfect. And I was like, 
I don't know. That's mm, I can't see myself doing that. Um, <laughs> no, not practicing piano. My grandma would hear this and go, mm, accurate. Um, she was like, I wish. Yeah. <laughs> She's like, I gave you my piano, but that's fine. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, yeah, and then I started doing um, Harvest Rain classes. So Harvest Rain's a theater company up in Brisbane as well. And they did like dancing and acting and yeah. um, singing classes. And so I started doing classes there and I was like, oh, this acting thing's pretty fun, actually. I kind of enjoy, I kind of enjoy pretending to be someone else. Um, Makes me forget about who I actually yeah, am. Don't have to be in my own head. <laughs> um, no, I always love that question with my students. I'd be like, "Why do you, why do you get into acting?" And like nine out of ten people are like, "I love being someone else." Yeah, um, it's like a, it's a pure escapism, is yeah. what it is. Well, yeah. yeah, I always say I'm like I, I act to live the extraordinary, and it's yeah. the same reason that I write. Um, I'm like I just want to live that fantastic world. Yeah, because the the reality that we've got is actually quite fantastic, but mm. it's just. In a different way. In a different way. <laughs> it's not kind of the one you, this is the thing. You don't want to live it every day. Like that's the thing. You wouldn't want to live in these fantasy worlds either because no. they've got some of, of their own shitty politics. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Even in my novel, I'm like, I'd love to live in this world. And then I write a chapter and I'm like, not in this part though. Yeah. I, I wouldn't want to live here. Yeah. We're this. selective about the ones. <laughs> it's like everyone wants to be a superhero, but they only want to be the cool parts of the superhero. They don't want to actually be like beating up. Everyone are getting beaten mm. up themselves. Yeah. They just want the recognition. Yeah. All the cool powers. All the cool yeah. powers, but they don't want any of the responsibilities. That's why I think bending would be cool. Like an Avatar the Last Airbender. Because you can just live your life and be a bender. There's like no expectation to do anything Wasn't with that there bending. an expectation for Aang though? Oh, for Aang, yes. If you're not the Avatar though, yeah. you can just... I mean, the I've... fuck if you're the Avatar. <laughs> yeah, no, not about that. Aang and Korra had some rough times. They were just like, oh, fuck's sake, guys. <laughs> Why did we get the responsibility? <laughs> like, and, and everyone kind of disses on Korra, but you know. I love her. I think you need to rewatch Korra when you're a bit older and then yeah. you understand it a bit more. I, I think you just need to watch that entire show 100%. when you're older. I feel like it needs to be mandatory for people to watch it. And just like everyone needs Uncle Iroh to just give them some good advice. Yeah. Like even if you've had a terrible life, listen to Iroh. He will help you through everything. You know, the interesting thing was it's like um it's like the Studio Ghibli films. Mm. If you watch those today, when you're a kid, they're like fluffy. They're nice. They look great. Some but of when them you're... are horrifying. But yes. Yeah. <laughs> All of them are horrifying because they're actually just really awful stories. Um, but they're interesting stories because mm. they're from like, you know, kind of spiritual or circumstantial or like war or everything like that. They're all about like identity and mm. he was people as well. But they're always from a child's perspective. And I think that's why kids, they go, oh, this is so nice. Mm. But I watched like Spirited Away again, like, you know, and now I'm almost in my 30s. I'm like, oh, my God, this is really quite dark. Yeah. It's really quite depressing <laughs> yeah, because you're like... <laughs> Her parents are turned into pigs. And yeah, like, oh my god, she falls in love with the river. What is happening? So, yeah, and then there's a dragon. Like yeah, the boy's a dragon, and what's going on? Like, yeah. which, sorry, like, and why is there this old like Baba Yaga kind of lady? Yeah. Like, who the who the fuck she? Like, and then this massive baby. I don't know what is that. Yeah, because I watched that for the first time a couple of months ago, and just spent half the time just with my mouth open, like, what is happening? It's here? a great film, but oh, it's just fantastic. beautifully done. Mm. But yeah, you kind of need to understand like. <laughs> the studio's brain mm. it's a little bit like pixar films because i i love pixar films mm. they're great to watch and, it, and like my mom has it sort of goes oh they're kids films and i'm like no they're not they're mm. like i will happily watch pixar films to the day i'm dead like 100 they're such good quality films and i went to go and see insides out mm. i think it was like valentine's day mm. 
And I was like, I don't have a date. I'm going to like, it was Valentine's Day is weirdly the day after my birthday. Hmm. So yeah, it's kind of one of those weird things. So every time it happens, I'm like, I'll go out and do, you know, like generally when I'm either in a relationship or like I'm single, like I think at the time I was single. So I was like, I'm just going to go to the cinema next door, watch a movie by myself. I kind of just want to watch something because I don't want to be at home right now. I'll go and do something nice. I remember it was date night and it (laughs) And it was just me quietly sitting in the audience just being like, perfect. I'm the only single person here. But you know what the best thing is? This is just so nice. And I was crying my eyes out. Mm. It's such a good film. Mm. But I was just like, I was in this weird, like, I'm happy that like mm. I can appreciate this alone. Yeah. It was a weird, like, it was a weird. Yeah, yeah. I but think in it, your moment, just yeah. enjoying it. Yeah. Yeah. But I think like to anyone out there, like having those moments, even when you are in a relationship or you're a single, the best moments sometimes are also when you're alone, like mm. by yourself. They're just so good. And you're mm. like, oh, yes, that was a great, like, moment I could just have by myself. It's always nice to share moments, but I feel yeah. like people get too hung up on the sharing Mm. and they can sometimes just forget that they can also enjoy these moments alone. Yeah, be their own person. Yeah, because everyone's an individual and all that jazz. Yeah. Like, (laughs) we're all team players, but we're all individuals. (laughs) It was a very long spiel of, like, existential (laughs) crisis for all these four audience. Um, But, yeah, I mean, like, so that that kind of, like, dance and everything got you into acting. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then neighbours of mine in Brisbane um, were did a lot of work with this particular theatre group and we'd gone to see shows that they were in and I was kind of like, oh, really nice theatre. Why is it in Bean Lee of all places? But it's a really nice theatre. I don't know the Sydney equivalent of Bean Lee, but it's like 30 minutes out from the city, basically. Oh, Just- that's like... Um- yeah, that would be like, a, you know, having a really sort of like big production in like, Parramatta is about 30 minutes, but yeah. like now Parramatta is considered the second CBD. Okay. And if you don't live out west, like <laughs> that far west, there's no real point. Like yeah. it's, it's, it's like Chatswood, Parramatta and the CBD. Yeah. And you kind of like, if you live between those, you know, and I think Sydney is now getting to these points where like even like um, Green Squares now becoming a mm. bit like that it's you know it's becoming its own little cbd yeah of the eastern um uh, sort of creek mm. suburbs but yeah there's like it's weird when they suddenly have these little town areas and you're uh, just yeah. like I don't know how I feel, but I'm also <laughs> glad that there's not like a thousand people in the CBD mm. where you live by, because mm. then it's only the people who are local to it. And I think it's also helped with COVID and everything, because not everyone's like traveling quite as far as they need yeah. to, because oh, uh, yeah. they used to travel like if you wanted to do something in particular, you'd have to go for like a 40 minute drive. Oof. Yeah. I'm learning that. You're like, oh, you know, it's five kilometers away and it's like a 30 minute drive. I'm like, why is five kilometers a 30 minute drive? Where? And yeah. it's just traffic. <laughs> it's traffic, traffic in Sydney. Nuts here. <laughs> yeah. We have no concept of like patience either. Because Bean Lee is a half hour drive and is 27 kilometers away. <laughs> Straight on a motorway. <laughs> there you go. But people, people don't live in Sydney and just go, but this is also the thing Sydney drivers are shit. <laughs> Um, like we have no conscience concept of Merging. Pol- mer- <laughs> waiting. You just kind of do what you want to do and everyone Look, we else had, moves. <laughs> we had a point once. We had a, um, we just were like an entity that could two ahead itself. 
it's like um you know and this and this is the thing it's it's like sydney has got hipsters this is the thing also i love that everyone's like really competitive like we were chatting about this before the podcast but everyone's like oh sydney's great melbourne's great brisbane's great and i'm like we're all shit in some regards like <laughs> shut the fuck up there's there's negatives to everything to yeah, every just it just yeah. happens to be sydney drivers suck balls oh, like they really <laughs> when we were driving down my boyfriend was literally just like, I will drive the majority of the way if you do the city driving. And I was like, oh, fine. But it, it's, it's, <laughs> this is the thing is it, when you have toll roads in Brisbane, are they like, how many toll roads do you have? Um, You sort of got like the tunnels to get from south of the, the Brown Snake, as it's called, the Brisbane River. Get south of the river to north of the river. You've got like a tunnel. Um, You've got like the go-between bridge. Airport link. Yep. Maybe, uh, and then like the gateway. So you've maybe got like four or five that are like major toll roads that people would use regularly. Yeah. Okay, cool. So we have about six or seven. Like, yeah, we've got the bridge. I think I drove on all of them when I came in here. Because <laughs> yeah, I was yeah. going straight to Cronulla and I'm just like, I don't know where I'm going. I'm going to follow the maps. Yeah. And there's a- like another toll road, another toll road. I'm like, oh, sorry, dad. Yeah. It's like you calculate <laughs> it all up and you're like, oh, I just used like 30 bucks. Yeah. <laughs> Whoa. Um, yeah, it's it's funny. Like one of my friends lives out in Ingleburn, which is about an hour's drive. Mm. And yeah, that's like sixteen dollars. Oh, oh no, twelve dollars one way. Mm. From my area to there. Um, it's between twelve to sixteen dollars. And I'm like How much do I love you? <laughs> yeah. It's like I am happy to catch a train because that's like three bucks. Mm-mm. Like or five bucks. That's the thing. The public transport here is so much better. Like we when we were staying in Cronulla, we were trying to find apartments. Um so did you move without an, an idea of where you would live? Yeah, but my cousin lives here. So we were just, we were like, can we crash on your couch till we find a place? And he was like, yeah, right. Oh, okay. So um, it was like, not you were like sleeping in the car and no, then no, like no. hoping for the best. <laughs> no, no, no. We were on a couch, thankfully. Um, but yeah, we were just, would adventure sort of more towards the city because we didn't really want to be in Cronulla just because most of the stuff we wanted was central. Um, ish. <laughs> Yeah, I was about to say. <laughs> Ish. Um, and so we'd sort of, you know, travel in on the train and oh. go adventuring around. The trains are so easy to use and they're like know, right? actually on time. Whereas Brisbane, you're just like, my train's here in, you know, five minutes. And then you look and then five minutes later, it says it'll be there in 10 minutes. And you're like, what happened? How did we get here? Who, who jumped in front of the train? Yeah, Please no, tell me. Not even. It's just TransLink. Oh, yeah. I've heard shocking things about TransLink. The, yeah. the thing I really appreciate about like transport around sydney is yeah the trains the trains and particularly probably no it's just about the trains actually mm. the buses are pretty shit like i don't even want to attempt the buses <laughs> no the buses here like they used to be good and then they kind of like changed a bunch mm. of them it was during like oh i want to say like 2015 2016 when they started changing all the bus routes because mm. they were talking about introducing the light rail ah uh, and then which you could it, walk faster than Yes, mm, yes, <laughs> I do often. Um, it's only useful if you want to go outside of the CBD, yeah. in which case you want to go down to Randwick, and we're, and then it is a lot faster. Like, yeah. it's miles faster than, like, walking, Yeah, but not in the CBD. Like, you, everyone's like, oh, just catch it down to Circular Quay. I'm like, walk the 10 minutes that takes you from Town Hall to Circular Quay. You'll be there just as the tram arrives. Like, yeah. <laughs> oh, my Lord. Um, but, yeah, it's, it, Sydney is a little bit of a weird cluster fuck mm. <laughs> of a city and they keep trying to build on top of it like, mm. this is the thing i don't like about sydney is they keep um like i was talking to uh, you know i've been here all my life so mm. loved sydney all my life i'm almost 30 
And I've sort of like done my adventure here in Sydney. I love Sydney. It's like a great city if you want to kind of like have adventures here. Mm. But when you've lived here the majority of your life, it's not kind of the city you want to stay in. This is kind of like the thing I always love as well, hearing people's different reasons for <laughs> coming here and leaving here. Yeah, yeah. And mine is always because... I've always wanted to live overseas. Mm-hmm. Um, one of them would be to love to um, either live in New Zealand, Canada, or the UK. It'd be yeah. very interesting, like just just those three different places. Um, and let's have, get that Kanzuk visa thing happening. Yeah, That'd be great. <laughs> yeah, give it to us. Um, but yeah, like all of that, all of that stuff is like um, watching you. Put- delicately i know <laughs> I like, it's like so it? funny watching everyone try and delicately put down a cup, cup of water and just always hear the chink of the glass um yeah it's it's always kind of funny when you sort of like talk about it because the reason people move is always vastly different like some mm. people really hate sydney i have nothing against sydney it's where my parents moved they wanted to live here like my dad was born here he moved away and then he came back mm. and because he did uni here same with um, my mum was born in Kudo and she moved here. So mm-hmm. it's kind of like I've known my entire life. My brother's lived in overseas. He's lived everywhere. Yeah. So it's kind of like my kind of point where I'm like, I want to, like there's always been something that rooted me here. Mm. And I think it's like a network. Mm. Love a network. Yep. But, but there was a huge period, I think, you know, when you're building your network and you want to kind of like always have this, the, you know, the place you're born, you kind of want to have an established network. So whenever you return, you can kind of like re-pick up that network yeah. or you can go, oh, I know all these people. Yeah. Um, but I always feel like that's kind of like the thing where people just go, they, they, as actors, they're not very good at networking. They're just terrible as networking. Yeah, it's part of our job. We need to be able to network and everyone's like, yeah, networking. Yeah, and I'm like, oh, my God, let me just reach out to people I've never met before. Yeah. And like, hey, do you want to come on a podcast and talk to me about shit? I'm so good at it. And everyone just like, everyone will sit in a meeting and be like, how the fuck do you know anyone? Like, you know literally everyone. I'm like, I just say hi. And they're like, oh. Well, I can't do that. Like, that's just, that's too stressful. Do you make eye contact <laughs> as well? <laughs> but it's it's always what I've done. I've been one mm. of those weird people who's just very, ever since I was young, mm. ever since I was young, and I have been able to go, hey, do you want to come and do this thing? And a lot of the time, like when you're a kid, people kind of get bored of that because if they're not into what you're into, they, you know, like yeah. children are weird. Um, <laughs> not actually, but they just, they have <laughs> no, different they're interests. Weird. They're pretty weird though. <laughs> um, but the older you get when you find like your clan and your mm. people and you know, find out what careers they're all interested in, it's so much easier to network, but mm. people still get afraid of networking. Like, yeah. and it's amazing in corporations, like, you know, because you talk about moving here and from Brisbane, mm. like, and then automatically, how do you feel? Like, are you excited to network and like spread your levers? Um, your levers? <laughs> your fi- sorry, your fingers <laughs> or your hair. I was like, levers? You're not automatic. <laughs> like, Jesus. I am an android, everyone. Uh, you can't see me, but I'm a robot. <laughs> I'm just going to turn your robot voice on then and not explain why. <laughs> just leave that in. <laughs> Um, yeah, networking wise, like I am excited too, but that there's that part of my brain, which I guess is the organized part of my brain. That's like, I just want to be settled first. Yeah. So I was like, you know, it'll be hard to network and meet people because like, you know, I want to meet, um, my cousin has a lot of friends who are actors, which is weird because he's in business. Um, <laughs> he was like, oh yeah, I'll hook you up with them. And I was like, okay. So I've got people that I want to like go and meet and chat to and have coffees with, but I'm like, I wanted to wait until I had a job. 
yeah. so that I could buy the coffees because I don't want to be like, give me all your knowledge and also buy me a coffee. I want to be able to do that. But then my panic brain is like, but we have to have an apartment and a stable job and then we can afford to do things. Like, like I have too much of a logical brain that puts all those sort of parameters in. So now I'm at the point where I'm like, yes, let's network. I know very few people here. Only one of them is kind of an actor. Um, everyone else is just people I met at K-pop concerts. So <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, great friends, but not really actor networks. So yeah. trying to get more into that networking now that I'm finally settled down. Settled yeah. in, I guess. Settled down. Settled and settled down. down. Yeah. <laughs> Where's your children? Oh, like, no, uh, no, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, bad news to your partner right there. <laughs> he is not going to be happy. My mom would be ecstatic, though. That- <laughs> The, that's always the scary thing is how quickly the parents are just like, ooh. Oh, no, mom's just like 10 years, please. Don't have kids now. I'm like, you're done. I'm not planning on it. Like, Not even in 10 years, like just questioning <laughs> that. Oh, no, but 10 years. <laughs> <laughs> My dad's the one that's like, so kids? And I'm like, can I get married first in like four years? Thanks. Is that good? No, no, kids first. Kids now. Kids, kids you pump out kids now. Um, I, I do like their parents like go through a completely different like you know scenario mm. of ch- having children than we do, and now that we've got all these like plethora of options, and they're like kids, 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 and we're like wait until our career's ready, yeah. and then kids, because you may have had like kids before your career was even ready, which a lot of them did. I understand you were financially stable at my age. I am not. Yeah, and then they're like, how are you not financially stable? I'm like. Well, I chose a career that pays pittance. <laughs> it's always my favorite conversation of my parents is like, they just don't understand how savings disappears. I get it. I get it. Like, And then you land one job and it's like, oh, cool. I'm on like three grand a week now. Yeah. Good. I, <laughs> I mean, it's like, you know, it, it varies. I bought a lot of stuff over the years and I've, I've had a pretty interesting career. I've traveled a lot. So mm. I've... I can't say that all my savings went to waste. They went to <laughs> they went to beneficial things. Yeah, yeah. But my parents question that. They're, like, <laughs> they're just like, mm, I don't entirely agree with that. But you know, you do you, <laughs> you do you, and you be happy with that. And that's all they care about. Yeah. Um, I think Sydney is a great opportunity. Mm. Like, but in terms of it, it took me ages to find mm. networking. Like, I didn't find networking until I was in my mid two thousand. Oh I'm very old. Uh, <laughs> no, until I was my mid twenties. Yeah. So it was like 25, 24. And it just took me a lot of trial and error mm. and a lot of failed projects. Mm. Like that's the one thing that I say to a lot of people, your first project you might think is brilliant. It might not work. Yeah. And don't be sad that you've got a failed project or it didn't go anywhere. Be happy that you attempted something mm. because that's the best thing. Mm. It's like, Seeing seeing something all the way through is quite hard. Um, it's like the biggest hurdle because mm. a lot of people think that making a short film is super easy. Um, like me with all my footage from when I filmed January last year, sitting on a uh, desktop computer that I have not edited yet. <laughs> oh, you're like okay, cool. Well, life happened, but yeah. yes, <laughs> yes, life that that happened to me once. That was like three years mm. later that it got released, and it was just it had been sitting on a hard drive mm. for so long. And it was not just life. It was just a lot of things that I needed to personally work through. Yeah. And I was like, I can't look at this right now until I've worked on 
all of this mental health stuff and then I'll get back to this. Yeah. Um, but people think that, you know, I hate that term that is thrown a lot about the creative community, which is like, oh, but just make it or do it. Mm. I think that's a really negative. I, I think it's a, it's people try and say it in a positive way, mm. but it, it has a lot of negative connotations to it as well. What's your thoughts on like that whole forcing to do nature? Well, if there's anything that you personally want to have out there as an actor you want it to be good like I would rather have projects and have things out there with my name on it that I'm at minimum happy with don't necessarily have to be like ah this is my masterpiece this is the greatest thing I've ever done or ever created but you always want to be happy with at the very least your own performance or your own um participation in it so you know I've done some theater productions where I've been like and it happens in community theater I've been like wow this production (laughs) <laughs> but I'm happy with what I've done in it. You yeah. know, I'm happy with the performance that I've put on in this production. So for me, that's kind of how I view it. I would rather be happy with my own um, presentation and my own contribution rather than just be like, I'm just going to produce this and I'm just going to half-ass it because, hey, at least it's getting me out there. I, Yeah, you've got to sort of balance that with the image you want people to perceive of you, I guess. Mm. That's how I would view that one. Yeah, that's that, and people have different images of how they want to be viewed, mm. um, and also stereotyping. Or like, uh, yeah, when you get stuck in stereotypes and yeah, or typecast, yeah, yeah, and that's always kind of like hard to break out of because it's funny because as act, like as creators as well, we can we're very versatile, mm. but everyone's just like casting directors kind of see you as specifics, yeah, and you go, oh, <laughs> oh wow, thirteenth time in a row, I'm playing a whore. Okay. <laughs> Was that your Tucker? Yep. How? <laughs> I don't know. I think I did Oliver years ago. Like I think I was sev- 16 or 17 when I did Oliver. 16 because yeah. I only did one show in grade 12. 16 when I did Oliver. And I was just ensemble, so we did all sorts of things. So, you know, there were scenes where I'm in like full nice button-ups and I'm, you know, a lady of society. And I'm like, oh, yes, lovely. And then there's one scene and it's a bar scene where you do umpapa, which is the like big yeah. bar shanty song. <laughs> and that's the one where I'm, you know, dressed as an 1800s prostitute. Very scandalous, you know, four layers of clothing. <laughs> um, but it was just such a fun song that I would really get into it. And I remember the director just being like, oh, everyone, you need to match Luella's energy. And I was like, oh, dear, it begins. And it reached the point and because there were such sort of communities around community theatre, you get to know all the directors. You know, you do a show with someone and they'd be directing the next show and they'd be like, hey, you should audition. I reached the point where I had a friend of mine come up to me and he's like, I'm directing a show and I need someone to play a young whore. Are you in? And I was like, glad that's what I'm known for. Um, I'm actually overseas for that one. So sorry. Came to see the show because I could catch the last one after I got back. And he's like, she's not as good as you. You would have been better. And I'm like, you can't say that. And he's like, but you're my go-to for a young whore. And I'm like, this is not what I want at all. Sorry that you're the go-to for the young whore. Like, Eventually, I've managed to move out of that and into romantic female lead, which I much prefer. But still. <laughs> but still. That's like a slight step up. The, the strong romantic female okay, lead. Okay, cool. Like Beatrice in Much Ado About Nothing or um, Shelby Eatonton in Steel Magnolias. Those yeah, kinds yeah, of like yeah. sassy, don't take any shit from anyone. But those. still, you, you just got... <laughs> What a step. Yeah. Like just the classic horrors. Like I think it's also <laughs> it's such a strange, strange like 
you know, just concept to be like, you've been typecast as the whore. Um, I never thought that would have been a thing. Uh, but yeah, it's like, yeah, that's very. It was my favorite exercise to do with my students. So in the classes, I'd go, all right, we're going to do typecasting um, based purely on, you know, your appearance and sort of say, you know, these are guidelines. This yeah. is just what we see. Um, and would make everyone do it. And I would always start just so that it wasn't like, I'm going to sit here and like rip the shit out of you. I would always start and I'd be like, you know, how would you guys typecast me? And they've, you know, had maybe one lesson with me and they're like, oh, girl next door, really sweet, nice girl. You know, maybe like the strong female or the businesswoman. And I'm like, cool. Do you guys want to know what kind of role I've played the most? And they're like, yeah. And I'm like the whore. And they're like, what? <laughs> I'm like, yeah. So typecast can be deceiving. Um, yeah. But if I guess, I don't know, I played it enough and enough directors came to see me and went, oh, wow, yeah, she can do that role. And yeah. And yeah, it's like, um, you know, just when you watch films now, you're just always like, oh, that's the actor who plays the cocky asshole all the time mm. or that person plays this role. Yeah. Um, all those actors who always just play themselves on screen. And, yeah, yeah like, like Will Smith. Uh, <laughs> he really does. <laughs> he doesn't play anything else. Um, and I think like... I don't want to, you know, but also, like, I do like it when you do see actors just do a completely mm. switch around. Mm. Um, and I love as well actors who will do, like, like um, I always mention Kate Blanchett. So she's yes. done, like, Lord of the Rings. She's done really serious films. But then she does, like, The House with the Clock and the Walls. Which, which I is love. Which is an amazing movie. But it's this kooky kind of yeah. over-the-top kids movie. And I love actors that still do kids movies. For me, that's a sign that they're a good actor because it's like they don't take themselves too seriously. Yeah. And I kind of love that. I think it's also, that's why I kind of like a lot of like the superhero films mm. because uh, that is a ludicrous kind of scenario. You have to say a lot of garbage kind of dialogue. Um, especially if it's a DC film. Yeah, especially if it's a DC film. <laughs> but, um, they're getting better. They're the, getting better. Yeah, mm. the, sometimes. Uh, <laughs> But like Marvel in particular, you have, like some movies are better than others, but mm. a lot of the time they're colorful fun. Mm. Like they're kind of like, but I think the interesting thing is before a lot of those actors were very dramatic roles or they weren't taken that seriously until they got cast in those roles. Mm. And then suddenly they got into more indie films that they'd always wanted to get into. I think um, Paul Rudd's a great example. He, there was a couple of films he had been in and I was like, he's a really good actor. Mm. He's a very good comedian did Ant-Man and I was like god he's you know like this is really weird they're casting him as like the really odd superhero mm. but he made the character really grounded mm. in his own right and made him a dad like a very dad figure because he yeah. was a dad himself so yeah. he was like oh I've got kids so you know like, screw it I'm gonna play him as like kind of myself a little bit but also kind of quirky and a little yeah. bit strange and you watch him in indie films now and he's kind of like he did uh, I think an indie television show not that long ago where he played two versions of himself Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I remember yeah, yeah. seeing trailers for that. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's done a whole bunch of stuff like that. And he just, he's very down to earth mm. in terms of every interview. He gets very excited. He's very nerdy. And he just embraces that whole world. Yeah. And I think that's kind of like versus a lot of actors who just don't talk about it. Mm. Um, who just go, I don't want to be in touch with that nerdy side of myself. And I'm yeah. like, that's a, half the point of you doing yeah. films as being a nerd. Like, like if you think of all the actors and people are like, I love that actor. You know, you've got like Tom Holland and it's because you see interviews with him and you're like, man, this kid's weird. Like are you, the actors you see in interviews where you're like, I want to be that person's friend. Yeah. I always find they're the actors that I'm just like, yeah, I love that actor. You know, I watch that actor. Yeah. Because anything. I think it's also like... um. They they tend to be excited by what they've made as well. Mm. It's not because Tom Holland's a great example of someone who just can't fib. He cannot fib, and every time everyone <laughs> reads an article about him, 
like he recently was you know he's doing spider-man 3 at the moment they're yeah. filming he said a great thing he was like i like i can't i haven't like i don't even know what we're we're making right now i don't know what the film is we've been shooting for eight months and you know i still have no idea i'm like dude that is the worst line yeah. <laughs> Basically, at this point, you're just telling us that Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield are in this yeah. film because, like, shut the fuck up. Yeah. <laughs> but Marvel's just like, if you say anything, yeah, I know. There's no one else in interviews to shut you up now. You can't say anything. <laughs> yeah, it's like you haven't got Robert Downey Jr. sitting next to you, just going, mm. um, or Benedict Cumberbatch going, actually, uh. <laughs> yeah, which I think is the best interview of just like. <laughs> Because he's clearly someone in his 20s just not knowing how to shut up yeah. and gets very excited. Yep. And then all these serious <laughs> actors are just going, oh, she's like, this kid is <laughs> But I also, I do like watching interviews like Benedict Cumberbatch, who mm. seems like the sweetest man. Mm. Like, And in real life, he is just such a sweetheart yeah. and very down to earth. Um, I remember um, my uncles my only claim to fame in my family and not the baldwin side so my grandma's cousin uh cousins are timothy west and prunella scales so they're british actors prunella scales was in faulty towers i love that yeah yeah um, it's on my shelf over there so i'm a huge faulty towers fan <laughs> anyway well we have lunch whenever we visit them in england oh do you yes mm. it's always lovely um but they're tim would always do the rumple it's like yeah. a radio recording sort of thing I remember going over for lunch once and he was just like, oh, you know, normally I play young and old Rumpole, but this year they've got this Benedict Cumberbatch in to play the young one. And I was like, cool. Um, and I can't even, couldn't even like ask him anything about it because he seemed so sort of not perturbed, but just sort of like not wanting to continue the conversation. But I'm like, oh my God, Benedict Cumberbatch. That's, yep. Totally fine. Totally fine. Because I love everything that he does. Even Doctor Strange, which was an okay-ish film. Yeah. It yeah. wasn't the best. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, Sherlock season one and two were great. Mm. Then it got weird. And then it got real weird. Like, it was like, um, it was just uncomfortable to watch mm. a lot of it. It just, it just would, it didn't know what it was trying to do anymore. Yeah. And it was. Although I did like when they did the old school style one. Yes. That, that was, was a really cool episode. But I didn't like how much it flashed forward. Mm. That was the only thing. I was like, if you're going to keep it old school, keep it old school from beginning to end. Don't kind of have it halfway between. Because yeah. I think that felt like a cheap skate. They were just like, we want it in modern day, but we also want it in old timey wimey. I was like, yeah. just keep it to one. Like, Yeah, like we would have just kind of suspended belief. For, yeah, for one episode. For an episode, yeah. For a Christmas special. Yeah, like, like we know Christmas specials are always going to be whack. You think of any Doctor Who Christmas special and you're just like, <sighs> it's going to be weird. <laughs> I'm, so I'm so glad though that Benedict Cumberbatch never wanted to play Doctor Who. Like, mm. He had no interest in playing the role. I think it was like once he got cast as Sherlock, he was like, mm, "That's kind of like yeah, my uh, my series, my named yeah. named character, yeah." So it was like, um, you know, and and Doctor Who is always like one of those weird shows that everyone loves. I'm a huge fan of it, um, mm. but it's one of those shows that you will either love or hate. It's always in trepidation of which actor is someone's favorite, yeah, and that is always going to be the case, and how the writing is. Yeah. It's very controversial in writing. Um, I don't think there's been an era where someone hasn't complained about the writing. Mm -hmm. um, Even it, Moffat, which most people are like, yeah, Moffat's a great era. There's always that one person that's like, actually, um, it's better when he co-wrote. Yeah, and, it's like, <laughs> and then everyone's like uh, uh, shit-talking uh, Chibnall. And it's just like, wait until his era's over and then replace with someone else. And you yeah. might all look back and be like, oh, his era wasn't that bad. Yeah. It's like, it's always the, whenever it's the current showrunner's era, 
they shit talk them oh, yeah. until they're done. Everyone and- has an issue with everything. Like I remember when they announced um, that the female, that the doctor was a female. Yeah. Oh my God. Just dealing with people on the internet with that. I can't believe it's a female. The doctor's never been a woman. This is ridiculous. And like all the comments being like the number of times he's talked about past lives that we've not seen, but where he was canonically female. Did you watch the show? Like, yeah, there's there's a lot of like, <laughs> and there was a great interview with Tom Baker, where he said, "Let it happen. If mm. it doesn't work, replace her after one season. Mm. But just at this point, let it happen." Yeah, because and this is a man in his eighties, just going, "I don't care." Mm. Nor should you, as an audience, <laughs> like, Jesus, it's a show that people want to do. But that's the thing I've found a lot in God across everything is just like gatekeeping. Yeah. Gatekeeping, you know, with actors. Oh, you're an actor. Have you read every single Shakespeare and annotated it and rehearsed your own roles? Then you're not an actor. It's like, sorry, I'm not a Shakespearean actor or, you know, sorry, I don't have an interest in Shakespeare. My boyfriend loves acting but prefers film and TV. He doesn't really like theatre acting as much as I'm like, you would be so good at theatre acting. It's fine. Um, (laughs) Just sitting there like, I could direct you so well. Um, Let me tell you all the secrets that I can teach you. I'm like, I could teach you how to do stagecraft. You'd be perfect in an audition. It's fine. Um, but that's just not where their interests are. Yeah. And that comes across everything, you know, even in fandoms. In fandoms in particular, there's the gatekeeping. Oh, you like Doctor Who? Have you only watched the new Doctor? You're not a true Doctor Who fan. or Yeah, just... and I never say that to people because having mm. grown up with the black and white ones, mm. which I just go, if if you've never watched the black and white ones, don't. Because they fucking change. <laughs> <laughs> they're shit ass, but they're great if you grew up with them. Like, yeah, exactly. It's... There is something about it, like, um, like hands down, it's the same with like the Star Wars films. I'm mm. like, I'll say to anyone, you know, if you need to watch any, watch like the original trilogy. Yeah. Just watch those. Yeah, they're fine. But if you really want to watch the other ones, go right ahead. Mm. But I won't highly rate them. Mm. Don't do all the, don't do all nine movies because the first three suck balls and the last <laughs> three sucked balls. So, but the middle <laughs> are great. Um. But that's my personal opinion because I think that it had a beginning, middle, and end. Mm. And that was it. It was just one story. Yeah. And I think when everyone, you know, as you say with gatekeeping, it really does become, it becomes like the toxic culture Mm. of fandom. Yeah. And And I have so many friends who were just like, oh, I wanted to get into it, but like people would always just get so angry at me because I'd never, like friends of mine who have like, I've never read or watched Harry Potter. And they'll say that and people are like, what do you mean? Oh, my God. And we'll just go off at them. And it's like, well, now they're definitely not going to read or yeah. watch it because you've just given them such a bad memory to do with it. So I, I think it's also like um, there's a little bit of like cancel culture, mm. uh, which I, you know, because I don't like J.K. Rowling as a person. Like yeah. a lot of her transphobic comments is just interesting. Yeah. Uh, like keep digging that hole. <laughs> um but I think I have nothing against her Harry Potter storylines or mm. anything like that. I have more against what she says personally, mm. but I think you've got to separate those things. It's like the thing with Kevin Spacey. I can watch a lot of good Kevin Spacey films. I will never want to like listen to an interview with him yeah. because I think he's a sleazy piece of shit. Yeah. But I will happily watch all his roles mm. because I appreciate those films. It's it's like I can watch a Weinstein film still to this day and be like, that was a good film. The company behind it are a piece of shit, but yeah. the film's good. Yeah, and yeah, doing certain things so you're not supporting the people behind them in certain yeah. ways. And there, yeah. There's a lot of kind of like um, a lot of different things like that people don't realise because every – and, you know, kind of like true fact about most corporations, there's a lot of like un – 
things that aren't said mm. and a lot of things that, you know, aren't fully gone into detail. Um, and a lot of people's, you know, ghosts or well, skeletons in the closet are really coming out now. And, mm. you know, um, Craig McLaughlin had that, like, actually got off. Yeah. Which I think to me, like, when I heard that news, I was like, you're a fuckwit. Mm. <laughs> How the, there were so many people that came forward and were just like, you did really inappropriate things and sexually assaulted me and all this stuff. And he's just goes, well, I'm glad the court sorted that shit out. And I was like, yeah, but your career's ruined now, mate. Mm. So, you know, no one's going to fucking employ you. Yeah. Um, Even the whole Amber Heard, Johnny Depp thing. Yeah. And- which I really thought. So I feel sorry for him in a bit mm. because realistically – they, sh- I get why they got involved because they didn't want the whole like image to be, but I also it's a bit it's a bit shitty because th- although that in the franchise is probably going to happily bury itself anyway. I, thank you, JK. Um, <laughs> but yeah, like Mads Mikkelsen is a great actor as well, mm. so I think he'll do a great um, Kindle- Grindelwald, yeah. Kindlewald, <laughs> Grindelwald. Um, in the next Fantastic Beast, but I also think that after the first film, that real that franchise really kind of just could have like slipped into something else and mm. changed entirely. I feel like they're really beating a dead horse now at mm. this franchise, and um, I felt like that a bit. It'd be funny to rewatch the Harry Potters now, mm. having not you know been in an adult stage and wondering how good they are. Yeah, because I know a big thing with Harry Potter that I've heard about has been like representation across the films of various. Um, cultures, orientations, all of that kind of stuff. Like if you go through the books, it's a whole lot of books, not necessarily because they're never overly specific about um, people's ethnicities. But the movies, they get a lot of criticism for like whitewashing and um, the fact that the only sexual orientation you really see is um, heterosexuality. Yes. So I know that they get a lot of criticism in that regard. And then on top of that, having all of JK Rowling's tweets, everyone's kind of like, well, I'm not surprised the books are written that way. But I do understand that whole like separating the films and the books. Like a big one for me is Percy Jackson series. Like Rick Reardon himself has ripped the movies of the Percy Jackson series to shit. Like he hated them. Um, I can enjoy the movies. And I can enjoy like because the books are my absolute favorites, but I have to just separate them in my brain. I'm like, yeah. these are really nice Greek mythology movies. And this is the Percy Jackson series, which I love dearly. So sometimes, yeah, having to sort of separate from your mind, like for yourself, you know, the the actual film and then the company behind it. Because often it can be one actor in a film that's ruined it, but the other, you know, 30 actors that yeah. put their heart and soul into that production don't deserve for the whole thing to just be cancelled. Like cancel yeah. the person, not the not the art. entity. Yeah, yeah. Um, I 100% agree with that. I think also though in fantasy, um, a lot of these representations that not just heterosexuality and all that are, you know, because I do agree. There's a lot of like it wasn't until 2005 that Doctor really introduced anyone who was you know gay, mm. and that's very true like mm. it you know because you've got characters like captain jack harkness who is yeah. you know um i would date like, anything that moves yeah and i think that <laughs> before then it really doctor was kind of like very straight mm. white kind of like male orientated yeah and now it's a lot more diverse it's had a lot more diversity because they've really kind of like you know um, just moved it into the modern era i guess yeah have adapted it to suit what the current yeah expectation is but i think also with doctor it was never like with most things it never really mattered to the show mm. like it, because the funny thing also was it was produced in the 80s by a gay producer yeah. so the head, the head producer was gay mm. and it was probably like the most 
reprimanded era because it was so like shitty it was pretty it was pretty low budget it was like particularly bad to watch but i think what's interesting is he really kind of was like the first dominant like known to be gay Mm. and in a senior role and kind of like pushing forward the kind of like sex appeal a little Mm. bit more and kind of like trying to push it to the modern era so having that now where everyone's kind of like oh i know i'm you know you know i found my representation in Mm. the show or through you know the books or anything like that i think is wonderful Mm. and there's a real like um i think also like shows a lot now are doing giving a lot more trans actors and you know everything are are bigger roles and um and not just having it be that their character is trans and that's their whole story. Yeah. I remember seeing um, it's the sequel series about witches um, movie that came out. I cannot remember the name of it for the life of me. It was came out a couple of months ago. Um, oh, it rings a bell. It was like um, oh, I know the one. It's on Netflix. Yeah. No, no, no. It was uh, in the cinemas. Four girls got into magic. All the different elements in it. Um, God, I know the one you're talking about. Yeah, the, yeah. Cur- the curse or the sea, something or something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But in that, one of the main four characters was trans, and that was not even openly stated. I think one of the characters was just like, "Cause we were all born women," and the um trans character was like, "Well," and she's like, "We're all women now," kind of thing. And that was it. Yeah, it was like if you hadn't really been paying attention, you would have missed it. It didn't play into that character at all. That character was their own person. And I just thought that kind of representation is what we need where people are represented, but it's not the whole point of their character to be like, oh, yeah, look, we put a trans character and it's just like this person happens to be trans. Yeah. There's like, I think they did that really well in a show that I really am enjoying at the moment called Zoe's Extraordinary Playlist. I love that show. It's so good. Um, (laughs) But yeah, there's like that episode with the priest and... Mm. Um, Zoe goes to Mo's church and then goes, why are you dressed as a guy? And he goes, you know, it's none of really, none of your business. Mm. Um, and the whole sort of like priest comes out and goes, oh, you're gen, you know, I know about Mo's gender fluidity. Mm. And I'm just like, oh my God, this is such like a one sentence thing, but it's so, it's just, you you could blink and miss it kind of thing. Yeah. It's not the hugest plot line, but it it does kind of explain a bit about that character and who they are and just about their own insecurities. Mm -hmm. And I think that. Nowadays, when people come out, especially like in rural towns and everything like that, it's nice to get accepted by, you know, and I think that's very important that episode as well, because, you know, it's the church accepting and not really caring. They're mm. just going, you be you. Like, yeah. all we want is you to be you. Yeah. And there's a lot of like, I think it's always the best thing to ask, because I remember growing up, growing up and being about 18 and people kind of find it odd like you know everyone has these list of rules when it comes to labeling of you should know this you should know Mm. this you should know this i don't think a lot of people do know and i think a lot of people like if you go i'm bisexual i'm pan or i'm like this that and the other Mm. um no one really knows like what that means they just go oh what's that and then you go, you should know. And it's like, well, no, they shouldn't because that's why they're asking. Like, mm. they won't genuinely want to know. So mm. tell them. Yeah. Because then it's, you know, th- you've educated them and they're just going to ask questions. Mm. I think it's a very different story if they're going, but how does that make sense in the like, grand scheme yeah, of things? So it's yeah. like, if it's existential questions, then <laughs> you've got, you got a lost cause. But I mean, if they just go, oh, okay, cool, mm. they're not going to think twice about it. Because I'm really like, um, you know, friends in, in primary school who came out gay, mm. I think in like year six, like it was like, a, you know, and they were just like, oh, I think I'm gay. And I'm like, cool. Yeah. 
didn't even think twice about it. Mm. In year six, when I'm like, you know, 11 years old or uh, 10 years old, I'm like, mm. That's the thing. Most of the time you read all these stories about kids and like they find out that, you know, a, their friend tends to like prefers girls over boys and they're just like, oh, well, I have a really nice female. For, like kids yeah. just don't care. It seems to be that when you get to an older age, people start again, the whole idea of, you know, gatekeeping yeah. and that. Um, but yeah, I remember doing a production and my... Um, directing a show and my lighting operator was gender neutral and they never told me but my friend knew them and told me and so I was like oh cool well I'll start trying to use the correct pronouns and my mum came along to all the shows as she does and referred to them as a she and I just sort of took mum aside and was like oh just so you know they actually go by they them pronouns mm. she was like oh okay I'll try and remember to yeah, do yeah. that but if she slipped up they didn't care they're yeah. just super calm about it because they realized that, you know, it would take um, someone like my mom, who's, you know, in their 50s, a little while to get used to having to yeah. completely rewire it. But she was trying and that was what sort of meant a lot to them. They were just like, just even the fact that they're willing to try yeah, means everything. I think uh, for me, it was very much a long conversation. <laughs> so for me, uh, for the audience who don't know, um, I sort of got like, I fluctuate between everything. So I'd like, I probably fit the more like gender fluidity mm. and all that spectrum. And I was like looking into it, not, um, you know, because I felt like this all my life. And then it's kind of like, I remember probably about 23, 24 and having the question asked, and what pronouns would you like to be used? Mm. And I was just like, no, I don't care. Like <laughs> there was a very like not conscientious. Mm. So I've never been fussed by pronouns, but I think if someone went like he, she, or they, I'd probably ref like respond to all of them. Yeah. I'd like, it's just kind of, and everyone started putting their pronouns. So I just like gave the list of every single pronoun that you could think of under the sun mm. to use for me and just like <laughs> go for all three. I mean, you really can't go wrong. Yeah. I will respond to anything at this point, <laughs> except for like a shit bag, in which case I won't <laughs> respond at all. Um, but yeah, like I think for me, it was identifying growing up in like it took me a long time to kind of like work out what that meant because mm. I did things that I was a kid where I was like oh this feels particularly girly this doesn't feel particularly boy and mm. kind of like things like that but I never kind of like I get to a point where my both my parents were just like I was like kind of had to ask them this question like what do you kind of like see me on this kind of like thing and they were like you're just Marty you're just Marty <laughs> you do Marty things and that's all we care about so yeah. it was like it, for me it was always like a, that my identity was my name mm. and and that was kind of like Growing up was not like the he did this and uh, like he did that. It mm. was always like Marty did this and Marty did that. So it was very gender neutral kind of like yeah. identity for me. And I think some people really do d identify with genders and stuff. I just could never fathom that. I still can't to this day. <laughs> and I'm just like, move. Um, yeah. And I think talking about that like openly now, because I think a lot more people are talking about that mm. now and realizing that now. Um, that that's a very normal thing mm. to feel. And a lot of the time, it's like sexuality and everything and it's sexual interest and everything. A lot of it is not like everyone thinks everything is a solid like yeah. line. The way the body is does not do that. Like no. we're not like we've got chemicals and they're just going to remain 100% this way. It's yeah, like your yeah. body is just like full of like it's a chemical jar exploding half mm. the time. And <laughs> it sounds really gross. <laughs> <laughs> But I think a lot of people kind of just comprehend. And that's why I think creating is so important mm. as an art because it really teaches you there's a lot of different types of people out there and a lot mm. of, like, there's no one set 
like as we were talking about, there's no one set path. Yeah. There's no like, I have to be this. I have to be that. Mm. Um, because then that's kind of like, that fills you into kind of like a s- sense of depression. Yeah. And like, I, I think particularly like, you know, anyway, growing up, um, I remember having a, like eating disorder and that was not talked about in, with guys. Mm. That was not a huge conversation with boys growing up because mm. that wasn't a thing that guys really kind of like acknowledged that some guys could have or um, anyone could really kind of like comprehend. Yeah. Um, and I remember one of my friends was just like, you look really thin. Like, and I was like, mm, you know, like, hadn't eaten that day i don't think it was like very kind of like anorexia yeah um if this is triggering to anyone like i'm I'm sure it is i do apologize like to the audience out there um but yeah it's very much like your sense of you know self-worth was very like low so Mm. my son's self-worth was just like nothing Mm. and and it's interesting looking back on that now because it feels like a very different person yeah kind of like understanding that but i think that having now the support network that i have now versus what kind of high school taught me mm. kids are very lucky these days with the amount of information on the net because yeah. we didn't quite have that um at least i didn't like growing <laughs> up and just going like i was born in 92 and i didn't really have internet access until mm. probably mid 2005 yeah i was one of the first generations that had like computers all through yeah. primary school yeah how was that growing up like Internet access. Pretty good. I mean, I think early, early years had the dial-up. I do have, yeah, (laughs) non flashbacks of of dial-up sounds. I miss Um, them so much. (laughs) But I think it definitely, for for schooling and learning and stuff, being computer literate was definitely useful. And like you said, this generation has even more access to information on the net so growing up from a young age and knowing how to use a computer means that they do sort of have those forums or those places that they can go to find out what might be happening to them or what their certain feelings are or um whether they even need to box themselves in something i like these days is that people don't rely on oh you know i'm a cisgendered straight woman like you don't need to have those identifiers. You're just like, no, like you say, you're just Marty. I'm just Luella. You're just who you are. And that's yeah. not needing to be labeled as much these days. But at the same time, people can label that and can find comfort and strength in knowing yeah. tangibly I am, you know, X, Y, and Z kind of thing. So yeah, I think definitely having more access to more information, particularly if you think of like small towns where it might not be as widely talked about or you know might still have some more in inverted commas traditional sort of concepts oh, around yeah. them being able to go on the internet and search those things up themselves yeah can really bring them yeah. that comfort i think that's kind of like the power of um just also voicing that mm. as well like the funny thing that i've realized is how many people like you get, as we were talking about before, you get to a certain age where you just stop worrying about, or you do stop worrying about that stuff as we've sort of like yeah. realized. Like some people worry about more when they're adults than when mm. they were kids. And some people worry about it a lot less. Yeah. I think it's like the pressures you, the funny thing is it's very self-orientated, a lot of our stresses as, mm. as, as adults. Like um, anyone who sees a therapist, uh, it's a good thing. Yeah. Uh, it's, I encourage, I encourage like, 
99.9% of the world to see a therapist because mm-hmm. it is a solid thing. They would <laughs> they would sell out. Even uh, as actors, I remember one of my old acting teachers said, even if you don't feel like you need to, always just a couple of sessions, go and talk to a therapist because if anything, it'll help you understand how you process and feel emotions. Yes. Which you can then use and adapt in your own work. Like if you know you feel emotions a certain way, you can go, okay, cool. So if I need to emotionally trigger myself in this scene, I can do this or... If I want to find this particular memory, I know that I can go back safely and I'm not going to get any PTSD or anything like that. So. How dare you? <laughs> um, no, it's true. I mean, like, mm. it's it's kind of like this big thing that um, helps people through life mm. and through, like, small things because a big thing can happen, as you're saying, mm. but small things like processing emotion. I Like, I love those 16 personality um, you know, tests uh, online, yeah, yeah, yeah. which uh, me and my partner did recently, and they're quite interesting because you like I'm a very introverted person, mm. and I think it always surprises people because I'm so like outwardly spoken, mm. and I'm like, oh, I'm very confident in every everything, but everyone's like, why you're introverted, and I'm like, yes, I really like my alone time. It's like <laughs> it's solid, um, but yeah, when people automatically like think about people in these kind of like things. I remember the first time I saw a therapist and realizing how many things like I didn't ever think about were Mm. like, you know, little things that I, the way I thought or the way I processed emotional help or I was overcompensating for this little factor. It's like little things Mm. that just build up and then make you, you and make all your insecurities or make all your little um, habits. And you got to kind of break those habits Mm. and, and work out why you do them. So there's a little bit of a, it's like a jigsaw puzzle. Yep. Um, that I love. And that's also why I love like acting and creating because mm. a lot of that you can kind of like psychoanalyze and dive into this weird, wonderful um, world. Mm. A little less in theater. Uh, like theater is a little bit, I'd say theater is a little bit, you can be more over the top. You can have a little bit more lunacy about it. A little bit, yeah. Uh, depending on the play. Yeah. <laughs> um, if it's anything like absurdist, have a bit of fun with it. Yeah, oh, because if um, you don't, you'll not have a good time <laughs> you really won't it's really hard to like i love absurdist plays but oh. you kind of got to just get rid of any self-confidence issues you have if you do absurdism did you, gotta... <laughs> did you have like because you played the whore most of the time no, did you ever have those like self-confidence issues um no because i think i reached the point where i was like look if you're happy to see me on stage in a bra and underwear i guess i'm happy to go out on stage in a bra and underwear like that was I mean like you know growing up did have a lot of um body confidence issues body dysmorphia all that fun stuff it's the pastries man they get you (laughs) (laughs) note to self Luella likes pastries like and bread bread is Um, amazing too bread is an excuse to eat butter and butter is an excuse to eat bread and that's why I had body (laughs) no um but yeah and also pastries yeah whole lot of things would play into that and so you know you'd obviously have self-confidence issues you're like oh I have to walk out on stage and buy high stockings uh garter belt a bra and underwear great um but then at the same time you're like the audience is 10 meters away and I always apparently look taller on stage and older on stage so it's fine we'll get over it and you just kind of had to go you know what it's the character that's doing this and not me and you'd use the character I I would personally would use the confidence of the character to help me through and I still do that sometimes in life I'm like if I'm walking down a street or walking through a train station or walking anywhere alone and I feel unsafe or you know there's anything that's making me feel a little uneasy 
I just channel, uh, I played Abigail Williams in The Crucible. So I just channel a bit of her. Okay. So when I create my characters, I focus a lot on the physicality of the characters. I give them all their own unique physicality because in life we all have our own unique physicalities. So um, I scare my students with this all the time. But I have a a very distinct physicality for Abigail. If you don't know who Abigail is in The Crucible, you obviously didn't do grade 11 in Australia Um, because everyone studies The Crucible. But she's a sociopath, basically. And the way I played her was very, very confident, very didn't care what anyone thought, would do her own thing. And she had a very distinct walk for that. And I imbued that walk with that mentality. So if I'm ever walking around in life or in public and I feel unsafe, I'm like, we're just going to just just slip into Abigail just a little bit and I'll just start like moving around the space and moving to wherever I need to go as Abigail. And it actually genuinely brings my confidence up and makes me feel safer. I'd still be screwed if someone tried to attack me because I can't run and I can't fight. But at least in that moment, I feel a little bit safer. So the guy with the knife behind me <laughs> is like, well. well she's too confident for me to stab. <laughs> I'm just going to blunt my cutlass and uh, go back to the drawer. Uh, worth a shot. Uh, I think as a good confidence boost, though, mm. I think that kind of like the way I got through high school was kind of like telling my play, like plays to myself mm. or like telling stories to myself on the walk home. Mm. And that was kind of like got through me not feeling safe. So it's a lot of, yeah, it's like confidence yeah. tricks yeah, um, that you don't really kind of think that you have. Mm. Um, I don't know what kind of like makes me confident now. Probably a lot of <laughs> bullshitting through. Like, I think it's just a lot of like, um, not even overcompensating. It's just a lot of just like, hey, if you like me, you like me. If you don't, fuck off. Like, because really. <laughs> you haven't got another choice. Like, really, I'm not yeah. gonna do much else. Um, but yeah, I do always find it funny that with actors and with everything, we're so desperate to be liked. Mm. We're so like, it's this weird underlying validation. We mm-hmm. want this, like someone to stroke our ego and be like, nurture me. You did a good job. Yeah. And it's like <laughs> a child thing. Like, mm. it's just like your two year old and son goes, Ooh, they yeah. liked even if you're like, no, 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 I don't do it for the praise. Someone will be like, you did such a great job. And you're like, yes, I did. Thank you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then you just go home. You're like, just cry and be like the best news happened today that's like me every day there's a good it's so funny though how we'll like build that up in our heads i remember i'd always go and see um again community theater in brisbane small world so i'd always go and see these productions i always remember seeing this one actor and i'm like wow this guy's a fantastic actor it's gonna be incredible if i ever get to work across from him and when i did the crucible he actually played john proctor and i was like I'm get, I, I get to act across from him. This is this is yeah. phenomenal. And I actually met the dude and we got along and eventually we got on stage and like, oh, it's just him. <laughs> like, I don't know, just actually getting to know him on a human level sort of took away that like pedestal I'd put him on in my mind. Yeah, yeah. Still a fantastic actor and still an absolute delight to work across from. But once you actually got to know him, you're like, oh, he's just a human being. Like, yeah. I think I... I <laughs> there's always a love about like everyone just kind of like... It's the thing I always say to people is just get to know me first because I'm I'm a real loony. Like <laughs> it's a it's a nice thing because um I love I love what I do, but it, it, there is a sense of like you know I I'm this very eccentric, mm. excitable. I will get you pumped about your own idea, 
and then let you run wild. Yeah. Um, but then a lot of the time I can't wait to work with some people. And they like, I've had people who are older than me go, I can't wait to work with you. And I'm like, hang on, wait, what? <laughs> me? Why? Like, I'm just a person who sits in their living room, talks into a microphone and talks shit half the time. Like, why would you want to listen to this? But apparently like everyone's just like, oh man, you're really interesting. I'm like, well, I guess so. Cool. Thanks, cool. Man. Yeah. And I think it's like, yeah, it's when you bring it down to that human level, you really mm. don't think, like, no one thinks they're as good. I I think it's because I don't have an ego. Mm. Like, I think a lot of people ego don't. Ego is the death of the actor. It is. Mm. Um, <laughs> but I feel like a lot of creators don't, like, some creators have egos. Mm. But I think a lot of them are very insecure or just, like, very mellow. And they're just like, eh, if you want to work. Like, Hugo Weaving, apparently, is just very mellow. He's mm. just, like, a very much, like, meh kind of person he's very friendly and everything but everyone's like oh he's god he's a godsend like yeah. look at him go and then he'd just probably be like hi yeah well, what, do you want to say hi yeah mm. okay cool bye uh, like that's the thing you always find like i know i'll be on set sometimes because i've done bits and bobs of extra work and there'd be like big name actors on set and you're like oh my god it's them and they walk past and like hey how's it going and you're like oh good Yep, but then extra 394 is acting like, you know, they're God's gift to acting. And you're like, it's just interesting how it seems sometimes the more well-known you are, the more human you are and the more just everyday it is. And you're sort yeah. of like, well, yeah, I guess this is just your everyday job. You're just showing up to work and it happens to be acting. So Yeah, it's I, I feel like it's when you kind of go and see the fan stuff and the conventions and stuff mm. when you're in big films, that's when it really kind of shows. But when you're on set... You're kind of like, okay, this is also, I've just got to remember my lines. Yeah, and I've got yeah. to get the scene done. And I've got to get emotional beats done. Like, it, it becomes a job. And that's what I also think that people don't realize is like, these are these people's jobs. Mm. Um, like, mm. they, you know, everyone's, it's, it's why we go back to gatekeeping and all that stuff. Like, every time an actor changes a role or they go, oh, I can't believe they're leaving or I can't believe they killed off like Robert Downey Jr. and his Iron Man. I was like, mm. he was done. Yeah. He, he did said, his time. He did his time. He did it for 10 years. Yeah. And he also said in an interview, my story is complete. Yeah. And everyone's like, oh, my God, I can't wait to hopefully see him one day again. I'm just let it go, people. Yeah, like, yeah. watch him in other things. Mm. But everyone kind of thinks it's like their solemn duty mm. to be these characters that they want. And a lot of the time actors want to go and be as many characters as they can be. Yeah. Well, you think of shows like even Supernatural, like those two actors – I know one of them was kind of in um, Gilmore Girls yeah. and like that kind of stuff, but they're mostly known for Supernatural. And they were on that show for like 15, 20 16, years. Yeah. 15, some, 16 yeah, years, yeah. some like a crazy amount of time. And you think committing yourself to one thing like that for that long, yeah. when most actors are actors, like we said before, because they like pretending to be someone else, often it's, you know, I like being multiple different people. So yeah. for an actor to sort of sit down for that long and be that character, even that is like commitment to the craft and to the fans and yeah. everything. I think it's also like, um, you know, it's funny because like David Tennant is still talked about every so often being like, why hasn't he come back to Doctor Who? And I was like, he's done his tenure. Yeah. He did it from 2005 to 2010. Yeah. And now he's not doing it anymore. And mm. it's like always quite funny because they always think that these actors will come back. Mm. It's like, yeah, they come back for a special, but yeah. they don't, that's every 10 years. It's not like every five years or every two years where they're mm. like, we're going to bring them back. Like yeah. these but actors are getting t like have other roles that mm. they do and other things that they do. And they've got mm. families. And I think a lot of people forget that these people are 
human beings. Yeah, it's like that have yeah. Lives. yeah. Um, and I think the funny thing is, like, someone said to me quite recently, one of my friends was like, "You've inter- interviewed like they were talking about the podcast, and they're like, you've interviewed a bunch of people who are very successful." I'm like, "No more as successful as you or I. Mm. They've just at different points in their careers." Mm. And that's the point of an interview. Like yeah. you're asking them how they got there and why they're doing. It. And it's so funny when I just go and get excited by everyone I interview. And I'm like, this is cool. I get to hear your story. But mm. I never think of them outside of my league. Yeah. And I, I've i stopped thinking that kind of like mentality was like someone's really famous. It's like, cool. Mm. I enjoy listening to this person. They're enjoying listening to me. Mm. We've made a conversation. Yeah. Someone will out there listen to this. And probably think five second thoughts about it, and then I'll go back to the drawing board. Like, yeah. but that's what podcasts are for. Like, they're for enjoying information, hearing facts, and then also kind of like moving along with your life. Yeah. And yeah, it's yeah, putting people on these pedestals mm. is a very different concept because I kind of like scrapped that so long ago. Mm. I think after I started working on TV, I just kind of was like, yeah, like out to the side because I think it was like you know. Um, I work, uh, you know, everyone's like, asks me all the time of who's on breakfast television on Australian news and goes, what's this person like? And I'm like, I've never met them. Yeah. Like, because I work for the companies doesn't mean I actually meet everyone. Yeah. Like I work in my department that does their job. Mm. But apart from that, I know all the camera operators and I know all the lighting technicians. I could tell you their names and they go, Mm. oh, I don't really care about them. And I'm like... There are people who also yeah. put these people to air. Like they're just as important. But yeah. go off. Yeah. But it's so funny because it's like you know whoever's in front of the camera, the people care about, yeah. not whoever's behind. So there's a real mm. like disconnect mm. as well. Which I've always hate. I always hate like whenever I've done theater productions in particular because you're working and you know TV and film, you're working with crews and cast yeah. every day. I always hate when they're you'd see cast members who have that oh but they're just the crew mentality and I'm like yeah but without them you don't have light you don't have sets you don't have someone who's coordinating all your props you don't have someone who stands there holding a costume for that one scene change and I just hate when people have that oh but their crew and I'm cast and that makes me better than them like no everyone works just as hard to produce this thing and you've got to have that respect I think every actor should do a stint as crew I've done side stage crew myself I've made an excellent dancing hedge. Um. <laughs> now that's another story. Um. Well, is just like giving me stories now at this point. Ah, uh, secret garden. That was a fun one. Um, yeah, no, I did crew for that one, and they had us dress up as gardeners for it because yeah. she was like, "If you're seen, I don't want you to be seen in blacks. That's boring. I want you to be dressed up as 1800s gardeners." And I was like, "Cool." were women gardeners in the 1800s? And she was like, nope, here's a cap. And I was like, okay. So I had to tuck all my hair, which was like down to my butt at the time, blonde hair up in this cap and was this little boy gardener for the whole um, show. And if anything, it gave me just such a respect for what crew did. Like, you know, I'd never treated them like dirt before that. I'd like to think I didn't. But going through and, you know, I'm like... just get letters now. But I'm like, you know what? I've taken off. I've taken off people's sweaty mic packs. I've I've pulled like done flies. I've moved set pieces. I've dealt with actors playing with props that aren't their props. Like I know it from that perspective. So then, when I go on as an actor, I know yeah how much work that they're putting in and how you know none of this would happen if we didn't have those people. And it's, yeah, yeah, I just can't stand actors who look down on crew as less than. I think it. it- it doesn't happen as much anymore. It used to mm. happen a lot. 
but it doesn't happen as much anymore. Mm. And it's really funny because there's one of my favorite directors, David F. Sandberg, um, Pony Smasher on YouTube. Mm. Uh, anyone should go and watch him. He's great. But he did this great video where he was talking about it. He did a bunch of indie shorts with his wife mm. when they were in Sweden. And then he moved to the US after one of his films got um, short films got noticed by James Wan. And then he directed like Annabelle Creation. Wow. And when he was doing Annabelle Creation, he was saying the one weird thing was like how he had to kind of like explain to bigger crews and kind of mm. like explain to all these people like his visions. And one of the things was he was explaining the whole point of stand-in actors, mm. like people of similar skin tone. and light, So you could light the scene because then all the actors would come in for their rehearsal. They mm. wouldn't be in costume. Then you'd send them out to get in costume. Then you bring in a stand-in so you could light the scene and set the scene. Yeah. And then you just kind of go, oh, but what's the point of stand-in actors? And like, well, they're also important because mm. you couldn't do a scene without them. So there are a lot of like things where it's like if you want to get on set as an actor, sometimes the best thing is hope that you look similar to the main actors you can be a stand-in. Yeah. Because that's also a great way to get experience. Mm -hmm. Like it's not quite being an extra because mm. you're not in the film, but you're yeah. watching how everything. And you're working with the directors and the directors because yeah. sometimes they'll be like, oh, we'll just need you to do this bit of blocking here so that we can see, you know, yeah, how we can light this and we can practice it without having to make the poor lead actor do it 25,000 times. Yeah. And I think it's like, um, you know, Netflix The Crown mm. which is um, a very controversial show it's very it's very good but it's very controversial mm. um, but the girl who played Diana in season 4 she was a stand-in reader for them she'd been a stand-in reader since season 1 wow reading offside characters half the time mm. and they didn't even consider her for Diana until like they'd auditioned like half the actors they were going to do for wow. Diana and they just went why not you? Mm. And it was her first big break. Wow. That's and, fantastic. And just, but she was a stand-in. Yeah. And that's kind of the thing. Like it, you, being a stand-in is not a bad thing. Mm. People need to stop thinking about your big break is being on camera. Sometimes your big break is the small stuff of helping someone out yep. and doing the smaller stuff because it's just the long game. Mm -hmm. And um, there was a great post the other day which showed all these actors who everyone goes, oh my God, I can't believe they've like had a career for like the last 70 years mm. or somewhere. And I was like, no, they haven't. They've had a career for the last 40 years. Like um, Alan Rickman, who yeah. played Snape. He was, uh, he was a, I believe, a carpenter or something. No, he, he yeah. no, he was a graphics designer. Yeah, and didn't get his first role till like his forties or yeah. something. Yeah, yeah. So he was late to the game, mm. but he was like, oh, I gave that career up to do this. Yeah, I love thinking about those because like there's so much pressure on actors and just young people in general these yeah. days. Where you're like, oh my god, I'm not successful by twenty. I'm a failure. Um, even as a twenty-four year old, a part of me is always like. Uh, and I just have to think about, you know, um, I think other ones are like, you know, Tina Fey and Oprah yeah. Winfrey and people like that who, you know, worked in hospitality until their 30s and then they got big and you think of them now and you're like, oh, but I've loved them for years and yeah. they still have such a great career. And so it's sort of, I use it as quite a calming thing to sort of go, oh, you know, what? no, I have time. I'm on the path I need to be on so long as I'm constantly working towards my goals and working towards what I want. And I'm happy in what I'm doing. My dad always says, if it doesn't make you happy, don't do it. That's a I good take motto. that and I put it within reason because, you know, I might not be happy doing hospitality work, but I need it. Um, <laughs> it's a good motto, though. Yeah. The, the reasoning, the thought behind it is really good. Exactly, yeah. And I, I just remind myself of that and keep going forward. And, uh, you know, I'm not expecting it to fall in my lap. Yeah. That's not how the universe works. The universe goes, all right, I see you. You're putting in the work. I'm going to give you opportunities. And knowing which opportunities to take and um, 
not taking every opportunity that's given to you, you know, being like we were saying before, is it worthwhile doing something just for the sake of doing something, you know, making sure you choosing things that keep you on that path that you're yeah. on and keep you happy. I've been offered roles in theatre productions and gone, oh, I don't really like the show. So no, I'm not going to do it. Yeah. And I think like, that's... oh, but you should have done it. No. I've declined paid gigs mm. um, because I didn't like the content. Mm. And everyone seems surprised by that. And like, it's paid gigs. And I'm like, no, just, yeah. I've got standards. Like, <laughs> You've got your own personal standards. Mm. And I know some people who will never accept anything that isn't paid. Like, I totally respect that. But mm. I'm not one of those people because if I know something is worth my time, mm. I'll do it. Yeah. Because it's like, it has to just be worth my time. Mm. And I know that one of my friends... He was like, oh, I want you to be in uh, like a couple of sketches that I'm doing. And I was like, oh, I haven't done acting in like eight years. But yeah, sure. Like I still know how to act. Like mm. it doesn't entirely like, like yeah. disappear from the ether. <laughs> and he was just like, he's really enthusiastic about doing it. Mm. But it's one of those things that, you know, I never thought in a million years that I'd ever do a podcast, but I want to be doing it for years. And mm. it's kind of like those things you don't think about it, but you feel kind of like once you try something out and you find it is kind of your thing, mm. it's so easy to kind of like. Well, I found that with writing. Yeah. Like, I, yeah, I, when I went to uni, I did um, drama and creative and professional writing because, you know, I always liked story writing as a kid and going through high school, creative writing was always a favorite. Yeah. And I was like, you know what? If I have to do a second major, let's go writing. And. I think when I was 16, I had this dream and I was like, oh, that could be a novel. And I wrote it down and I just kind of got a book and I just started writing bits and bobs and I'd get new ideas. And honestly, it's changed so much since then. And I've been sitting on that concept for about nearly eight years now. Wow. Okay. And had just been growing and adapting it. You know, if I'm standing at like my hospitality job and we had bits of paper, we'd write orders on it. I go, oh, I could do that for the novel. Write it down, put it in my pocket. Little things like that just over the years. Yeah. And it wasn't until last year when the big old coronavirus happened. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> and I was, you know, stuck in my apartment with nothing to do. I was like, you know what? Let's actually try and write this novel. So in the six months of lockdown between, you know, managing to get back into teaching, I wrote the first draft of my novel. Wow, and okay. I was kind of like, it's something I wasn't sure I ever thought I would actually get done. And yeah. then I did. And I was like, huh, I don't know if it's any good. Gave it to my parents to read. And they're like, this story is really interesting. You know, obviously you've got to fix up grammar points and add more description yeah. and, you know, fluff it out and make it nice. But the actual plot was really interesting. And whenever I describe the plot to people, they're like, can you write the book already? And I'm like, hmm. So my like long-term plan is we write the book, get it published, it gets turned into a film, and the lead character just happens to be a blonde-haired, blue-eyed <laughs> character. Total coincidence. Um, <laughs> so I'm like, we play the lead role, and that's the big break. But even um, just dramaturging things. So if a friend back in Brisbane, we'd do a lot of projects together. He would always write the plays because... I struggle a lot to come up with original concepts. Like I sat on a novel concept for eight years. We struggle to come up with original things. But if someone comes with to me and they're like, oh, I've got this idea for a play. I'm always like, oh, yes. And you could do this and you could do that. And like it could go here. So I'm really good if someone brings me an idea at like bouncing ideas back. Yeah. At so my friends, two of them would write plays and they're just like, all right, here. And would hand it to me. I'd go through it. I'd dramaturg it. I think I ended up doing a production, which was actually semi-professional. So got paid for it. Hey. Um, yeah, I was like, yes. Um, 
did a production where my friend wrote the script. I edited it. I was his assistant director. I did all the filming and editing. And I played one of the characters in it because he wrote the character basically based off of me. Oh, wow. Okay. And then it was a stage play with filmed aspects. Yeah. So I learned the stage script and did the behind, like the, it's called the things we do behind the scenes. So when I saw this come up, I was like, what? This is the, the things we do behind the scenes. And then you're like, oh, fuck. This podcast is about this as well. Jesus fucking Christ. Um, but yeah, ended up doing so many things on that. And I was like, oh, I didn't realize I actually liked dramaturging and working on scripts and yeah. editing scripts. I didn't even realize that was the thing I liked to do. But like you said, once you do it, you're like, huh this is something I actually enjoy and, you know, could look into doing it more. Yeah. I did. I ended up getting a couple of other scripts from people and then that made me go, oh, maybe I could write my own scripts and, you know, had an idea for a musical script that I'd been sitting on for ages and wrote the first act of that because I was like, I kind of have a better concept of script writing now. Yeah. And now that I've dramaturged for these people, they can dramaturg for me. <laughs> I think it's also like um, script writing is very hard. And mm. a lot of the things that people don't realize about script writing, which I love, is you go through so many different drafts. Oh, 100%. And Novels end- are made in the drafts. Yeah, they, they really are. Um, and one of my favorite things was uh, how I started like 2018 was I had big plans to make a horror series mm. like a horror short series got all the bunch of these writers on board and then by the end of it we only really had one working script mm. because a lot of the writers would send an outline and then not really want to change anything from that mm. outline because they were like i'm happy with the way it is mm. or i don't know kind of what to do with it and then you give them feedback and they're like oh but that's not the feedback i want they were very selective and i was yeah. like yeah fair enough um some writers are like that mm. and i think with the one that we ended up re- writing is sitting in a drawer in um my room and i'm so proud of it i love it but it, it, i was just like got to a point i think at the end of 2019 i was like i have no mental capacity i've been working on this for a year and a half mm. my brain is actually mush mm. i had a really bad year as well that year and i was just like i can't do this i need to kind of like walk away do something else a lot simpler that is easier for my mental health and easier for my brain to work out. Yeah. Then come back to this. Yeah. And like do this eventually. But there, there is no harm in that as thing mm. as well. Like you know, as we, as you talk about, like it can take you years mm-hmm. to even like go from the beginning stage to the end stage. And I think people worry about time. You know, so we go back to time crunches. There's yeah. no time crunch. The nope. time crunch you put on yourself is like more stressful than the time crunch anyone else is going to put on you. Yeah. Um. You know, like. I think there'll be a coming a point where I'll probably hit a brick wall. <laughs> but yeah, there's kind of like this whole mentality where you release, you kind of set yourself a release schedule mm. and you've got to kind of meet your own deadlines because mm. no one else is going to like meet them for you. Nope. You are yourself editor, you are self everything. So in this indie world versus the big budget kind of Hollywood mm. world, I don't think artists should try and get there. I think they should try and make it, like what they can hear. Yeah. I think that's more important. Mm. Do what you can with what limited resources you can mm. because it's sort of fun even if you want to like write a script or like yeah. do something and challenge yourself in some way. And I think a big part of it as well is just asking yourself like why why am I doing this? Why am I acting? Am I acting to be that big famous person who makes a lot of money from it or am I acting because I love acting? And I think that like no judgment whatever your reason is if your reasoning is i want to be in big budget movies and make a living off it great set yourself on that path for that but if you just love acting for the sake of acting then 
you would be happy doing things now, doing unpaid short films, doing unpaid theatre, just yeah, getting that experience. In all honesty, I learned the most about acting from doing theatre and I have a bachelor's degree in drama. Like, <laughs> I learned a lot from that, but personally for myself as an actor, I think I learned the most from actually just doing it. Yeah. Do, was that the reason you got into teaching as well? Like, what got you into wanting to teach people about? Um, well, I personally never thought I could be a teacher. I was like, uh, I don't know if teaching's for me. You know, I'm not, I don't think I have that kind of personality. And I was like, oh God, if I have to teach kids. Um, but I was working at a engineering company. Fun times. Um, <laughs> look, they let me call in day of if I had an audition and call in six. So uh, they were very, very, very accommodating for me as an actor, which That's was fantastic. Um, very hard to find. So I was working there and I was like, yeah, you know, this is a pretty good job. And um, my agency runs a, um, like they have a class program, like the yeah. sort of company that does courses and classes. And they were like, oh, we really want to start accent classes my agent was like, oh, Luella, can you do an accent? And I was like, yeah, yeah. What accent do you want? And they were like, stand in America. And I was like, I mean, I lived there for two years and have been doing theatre for years. And I think I've done one production that required my natural accent. So, yes, I can do an American accent. And they're like, could you teach it? I was like, I can give it a crack. Like, And that's basically how I got into teaching. I just went, yeah, I can give it a go. Um, so, started off as an American accent teacher there. And sort of through that, worked out my teaching style worked out, you know, the kinks, you know, came up with my own curriculum for the accent, worked out the kinks for that and went, oh, okay, cool. No, now I know how to teach it. You know, I know what vowels people tend to struggle with. I know what's difficult. I know how um, people learn best. Me yeah. standing here and talking, not the best way to learn. Them actually doing best way for them to learn. It's amazing that, isn't it? <laughs> Particularly with accents. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think I ended up having like the first lesson I would talk for an hour and that was all the theory you got. Then it was just practical for like eight weeks. Oh, that's um, great. Mm, that's an intense Workshopping class. scripts every single week. Yeah. Or cold reading. Jump up, just introduce yourself in accent. And they're like, what? And I'm like, yeah, just ad lib. Go for it. And they're like, the panic. Make them play improv games in accents. So much fun. Um, so <laughs> making them learn monologues and find monologues and going, I remember the days I did classes and have to find monologues. Have fun. It sucks. Um, and from there, the I agent don't miss monologues. No, uh. My agency, um, then they gave me their curriculum that they have for like yeah. their level two acting. And they're like, could you teach this? And I was like, this is my three-year drama degree in 20 weeks. So yes, I can teach this. Again, took the content they gave me, made my own curriculum, made it very practical-based. Um, in particular incorporated a lot of filming because a lot of these people were like, I've never really done much acting. I've never really been in front of a camera. So I would try to have at least five to six sessions that would involve them in front of a camera so that they could just get used to it. And that's not even an intimidating camera, just my little mirrorless yeah. one. Um, and then they were like, oh, cool, great. Do you want to take on the level one class? And I'm like, look, if I can teach level two, I can teach level one. Um, and then they were like, cool, it's great. We've got the American accent class now. Could you do a British one? And I was like, sure. And so then I got loaded up with so many classes that I could actually leave my, um, engineering company job, storeroom, woohoo, uh, and work as an acting teacher full time, which was wow, okay. amazing to just be able to be working in my industry. I was like, oh my God, I've done it. This is great. Um, you are a real person now. <laughs> and I found that teach if anything teaching really helped me understand what I do myself 
because so often my students would be like, what would you do in this scenario? And I'm like, oh, God, what would I do? And the answer uh, is nothing. Yeah. <laughs> no, but that's really cool. So you did hmm. that You did that for so long. Um, uh, yeah, about a year and a half-ish. <laughs> that's okay. Over COVID, which was a bit tricky. So doing online Zoom. classes. Oh, man. Zoom American accent classes. Like, it's so rough because I'm like, as much as I can hear through my headphones and as much as your microphone is picking up, your accent sounds great. So I would often just be like, if you can record a video at the end and like Dropbox it to me, yeah. Google Drive it to me so that I can hear it with better audio, then I can give you better feedback. Because I felt so bad doing these little classes and I'm like, I can only hear so much. Yeah, because it's like Zoom just compresses a bunch of audio. and Oh, yeah. And I'm like, I think it sounds all right, but. Uh... Good luck. <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, my God, though. Mm. So like. And then your big move to Sydney and you kind of like left that world behind. Yeah, which was scary because like you said, having those networks and sort of yeah. leaving that behind and going, okay, cool, in the big city, what do I do? How does the Sydney film scene work? And so having been able to set up a couple of meetings with people relaxed me a lot because I'm like, just tell me everything and anything I should be doing right now. You know, I know the standard have headshots, have showreels, be on databases, all of that. But like, is there anything Murder else? Murder some be- people, you know, like <laughs> get it out there. You start up your track record, like really get going. <laughs> 15 seconds of fame, go on yeah, a reality yeah. TV show. No, God, no. Um, but yeah, like, is there anything else I should be doing? Should I be yeah. going to see specific productions? Should I be doing specific courses? What are the, who are the big casting directors? Like, yeah. there are little things like that where I'm like, if I was in Brisbane, I'd be like, hands down, I know who, you know, Ben Parkinson, Bud Hopes, they're the big casting directors. Yeah, yeah. Or, um, Tom McSweeney as well. Um, they're the ones that I need to be, you know, getting in front of. But down here, I'm just like, help me <laughs> I know who do I talk to um so yeah it has definitely been nice having that connection because yeah. it was just kind of this moving into the great unknown and then now I'm here and I'm like oh my god it's real I've been in Sydney for like four weeks now Whew. and now you're just like oh I've been asked on a podcast <laughs> Jesus Christ everything's happening <laughs> what are we gonna talk about <laughs> I'm talking about my big move yeah. and everyone listens to me and is like Jesus Christ yeah. <laughs> Um, so many of my students were there like, oh, you're leaving us? I was like, yeah, I'm sorry, but don't worry. My replacement's just as good. And they're like, but you're leaving us? I'm like, yeah, I'm out. Have fun. Sup, bitches. <laughs> bye. <laughs> like, yeet out of there. Well, yeah, like, as great as teaching was, it did get tricky to kind of focus on myself as an actor because, yeah. you know, the, t- the type of person I am, I was always like, you know, put as much as I could in for my students and would always focus on them. And it's like, oh, you guys forgot um to collect this on your usb it's fine i'll send you the video files you need um i understand you know you need videos for your database all of that and i'd get so focused on them and i get so exhausted by that that i would just rarely be able to focus on myself like i said i haven't done a class myself i did one mid last year yeah um and that's the first class i'd done in ages because i was working evenings which is when most classes are and then you know you get so tired from spending hours talking to people and you're sort of like oh do I really have the strength to go to a class then what class should I do you look at yeah. some of the class structures and you're like I teach this but at the same time it's different when someone else is watching you do it and yeah like you don't actually do that and you're like oh, I should but uh, I should <laughs> but you know you're not looking mm, at me yeah and then you have some teachers who are like I expect you to only do it this way and I only believe it's in this particular way and you as a teacher have to shut up your own brain that's like well, I don't agree with you but okay and just kind of 
suck it up and do what they ask for. And you're like, eh. I guess it made me more critical of yeah. the classes that I take. So it made it a lot harder for me to find a course that I wanted to do. Yeah. Um, I ended up just looking for things that were vastly different from what I used to do. So I did a class that um, focused a lot on like Russian plays. So a lot of, um, not Ibsen. Chekhov. That one. Yeah. Yeah. The Seagull. Um, which again, is something I've never done. And I read the script and I was like, oh, there's a reason I've never done it. Um, if you love Chekhov, great. That's just not the style of stories that I'm into, really. No, I get that. It's very particular. Yeah. Um, but it was still interesting and different to do. I'd love to do more on Shakespeare. I'd love to do more um, film and TV specific because most of my training is theatre and musical theatre, which you say to any film director and they're like, oh, great. A theatre actor. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway. <laughs> um, so, yeah, like I, it's made me be a lot more specific yeah. with the sort of training that I want to receive myself. Um, one of the greatest bits of advice I ever got from one of my teachers was you never stop learning as an actor. Yeah. And I love that. And I fully believe that I'm, I have the only books I brought down from Brisbane of my over 600 um, are acting books. Because I was like, these are things that I actually want to read. And they're a wide variety. I've got... Um, classic Stanislavski to Meisner to um, Larry Moss, all sorts of things that have been recommended to me by people just to understand as much as I can about all these different ways of doing acting, yeah. different techniques, different practitioners and all of that. So. You've had like, there's a lot. <laughs> yeah, I've done a lot. <laughs> and, that, and there's still more to go. A hundred percent. I'm excited. I'm excited got, to see where it all goes. <laughs> you've got no stopping you. No. I think that's about it. Excellent. I think that I... Rabbited on long enough. <laughs> Look, I, you did. And can I say, it was all very thoroughly interesting. Oh, I'm glad you enjoyed it. <laughs> it was, especially the horse story. Was oh, like, <laughs> I can't believe that was like five minutes in. My family's going to be like, really? I thought we'd move past this. <laughs> no, it really hasn't. And it was just like, we started off strong and it was only downhill from there. Um, but no, Luella, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for coming in. Thank you for having me. It's been um, lovely talking to you. <laughs> yeah, it's been an absolute pleasure. And um, everyone, you can, go, where can they find you? Like Instagram? Um, uh, yes, yeah, so I have an Instagram, it's just at Luella Baldwin Actor. I also have a website. Go, yeah. and, go and find her. Uh, just LuellaBaldwin.com. <laughs> <laughs> go and find her. If you want to contact her, feel like you can. It's yeah. really easy to kind of contact anyone these days. Um, but don't do the stalking. Please, God, don't do stalking. Um, and, yeah, and tune in next week when I chat into another guest. And this is the things we do. I will chat to you all later. Bye-bye.